All right. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being with us today for this announcement. Alberta has a long history of welcoming people from around the world. We all benefit from the diversity of cultures and perspectives present here. Welcoming new newcomers builds on our social inclusion, diversity, and multiculturalism. For more than 100 years, skilled and innovative Albertans from other countries have led businesses and industries, uh, provided and filled jobs, and enriched our workplaces and communities. Now, international talent is even more urgently needed in our province. Alberta's economic recovery needs skilled and in-demand workers and entrepreneurs from our technology and innovation sectors to manufacturing and from trades to the hospitality sector. Alberta is looking for workers. Our healthcare system in particular has acute needs for medical and nursing professionals and rural Alberta needs investment to keep on growing. I give heartfelt thanks to all of the organizations and people who work so hard to make Alberta attractive to workers and entrepreneurs looking for the best place to build a future. The Alberta Advantage Immigration Program is a great asset in this effort because it helps our, our province to nominate qualified workers and entrepreneurs for permanent residency. That means that they can put down roots and build a career or a business and a life for their families as long-term Albertans. In turn, that benefits all of us, as it always has. Now I'm pleased to announce that we are making five changes to the program so that Alberta can be even more competitive in attracting and keeping skilled and in-demand workers and entrepreneurs. First, our immigration program will work with a federal pilot program to help refugees with needed skills come to Alberta. Second, we will create a dedicated pathway to badly needed medical professionals. Third, we are streamlining the application process to attract and retain workers under the rural renewal stream. Fourth, we are making it more competitive for international job creators to start or buy a business outside our major cities under the rural entrepreneurial stream. And lastly, we are making it easier to contact the Alberta Advantage Immigration Program for help and information through a new phone line. I encourage everyone who knows of someone wanting to bring their work skills to Alberta and share these exciting new developments Taking these steps is not only right and just, they are becoming a necessity. Alberta is the home of dreamers, of innovators and doers. We're always looking to find a better way. That's who Albertans are now and forever. We need to continue moving forward and growing the Alberta advantage, not just for those living here, but for everyone dreaming of bigger things. Minister Rajansani has more details on this announcement today, so I will ask her to share those with us. Thank you. Minister. Thank you, Premier, and good afternoon, everyone. Alberta needs and wants skilled immigrants to come to our province. However, many other jurisdictions want the same thing, and that means we are in a competitive environment when it comes to immigration. That is why Alberta's government is making five changes, as was mentioned, to its Alberta Advantage Immigration Program that will make it more competitive, accessible, and attractive to skilled newcomers. I'm very pleased to say that one of these changes is going to help target much-needed international healthcare professionals who have the qualifications ready to work in their healthcare profession in Alberta and who want to live in our province permanently. It is no secret that Alberta has a shortage of licensed healthcare professionals. 
That is why we are developing a new dedicated AAIP pathway for medical professionals who have a job offer from an Alberta healthcare sector employer and who meet the minimum requirements to practice in their profession in Alberta. This pathway will help healthcare sector employers in any Alberta community meet their labour needs faster. Up to 30% of Alberta's express entry allocations in 2023 will be used for healthcare professionals who are eligible under this pathway. It is also important for Alberta to attract immigrant entrepreneurs who can start or grow businesses here and help strengthen and diversify our economy. The Rural Entrepreneur Stream, or RES as it's known, of the AAIP allows Alberta to nominate qualified entrepreneurs to establish or purchase an existing business in participating rural Alberta communities. We have reduced the minimum minimum investment for the rural entrepreneur stream of the AAIP from $200,000 to $100,000. This reduction will make it easier for more immigrant entrepreneurs to access the stream and makes it more comparable to other entrepreneur streams across the country. Alberta's government is committed to reducing unnecessary red tape. In that regard, we are eliminating the requirement for an endorsement letter of support from a settlement service providing organization under the Rural Renewal Stream. The removal of this requirement streamlines the community designation application process in this stream. We want to ensure that newcomers are still supported in their integration. As such, communities will still be required to complete a settlement plan as part of the application process. Further, the Federal Economic Mobility Pathways Pilot, or EMPP, was developed to help refugees with the skills and qualifications needed in Canada to immigrate through existing economic programs. I am pleased to announce that the AAIP will now participate in the pilot project. EMPP participation aligns well with the Alberta Advantage Immigration Strategy, which supports innovative ways of delivering settlement services. The AAIP is using this opportunity to work with the federal government on implementing the pilot and supplementing its nominations. Finally, and this came directly from community and immigration consultants, we are introducing a phone line that will connect individuals with an AAIP staff member. Staff members will respond to program inquiries and provide clarity on processes for clients. This line is an additional option for contacting the AAIP office. We have a comprehensive suite of AAIP information and contact forms available online, but we can't anticipate every question that comes our way. This line will complement other contact services in place that help prospective applicants understand the program. So there you have the five changes to the AAIP that we are announcing today. Immigration and Alberta's economic growth are closely tied. Alberta's government is committed to making it as easy as possible for the province to attract the qualified people it needs while also maintaining program integrity. This is another step in showcasing Alberta as the best place to relocate, to work, play and raise a family. Thank you. And now I will invite Mr. Vivek Mahajan to provide a few words. Honorable Premier of Alberta, Daniel Smith, 
Honorable Minister of Immigration, Trade and Multiculturalism, Rajan Sane, and all the present dignitaries. My name is Vivek Mahajan. I am CEO of HP Immigration. I think uh, the changes have been made today. It will be a huge impact of overall economic growth and development of our province. I remember a meeting with Rajan Saniji a few months back where she asked all the consultants from Calgary and Edmonton and asked for us our, our feedback. And after taking our feedback, she actually worked day and night and actually introduced a few programs which included increasing the number of nomination from 6250 to 9750. And then a couple of months back, she announced a family ties component in Alberta Advantage Immigration Program. And now with these announcements, I think this is going to be a huge impact, especially in healthcare and rural entrepreneurs stream. I think where, where the total investment have been decreased from $200,000 to $100,000, this is going to attract a lot of entrepreneurs around the world to invest in rural areas, and that will be having an impact of overall growth at, and also increase the job in rural areas as well. I think this will be very important for our Alberta economy to grow and having a huge impact overall. Thank you so much. I would like to invite Mr. Scott now. Thanks very much, uh, Vivek, Minister, Premier, uh, for the chance to be here today. My name is Scott Crockett, and I am Vice President with the Business Council of Alberta. We're a group that uh, of the 130 uh, largest employers in the province of Alberta, and we believe in immigration. Uh, Alberta, for a long time, and Albertans have told us they're proud of building a province that's a place of opportunity, a place of solutions, and a place of belonging. And for a very long time, Alberta has been a place where people come from all over Canada and all over the world to work hard, build their dreams, and, uh, and make a great life for themselves. And at the Business Council, we know that right now Alberta really needs those people to fill some of the skills gaps in our economy and some of the nearly 100,000 jobs that remain open at the moment. So we're pleased with today's policy changes that are focused directly at filling some of those gaps in our workforce, at uh, creating additional rural vibrancy, and additional economic opportunities for refugees in our province. And uh, we applaud these policy changes and others that have been done to enhance the Alberta Advantage Immigration Program and expand immigration generally in our province. Thank you all so much. Thanks, everybody. Before we head to the Q&A portion, which I will start with questions on the floor and then have to go to the phone lines, I ask that everybody uh, ask one question, one follow-up, and your name and outlet before. Uh, prior to going to that, Premier just has a quick statement that she'd like to read. Go ahead. Thank you, Becca. As you know, there's been a great deal of inaccurate, misleading, and likely defamatory reporting about my discussions with justice officials regarding amnesty for COVID prosecutions. I have been clear that neither I nor anyone within my staff, have contacted any Crown prosecutors, as has been alleged. Indeed, Alberta's Crown Prosecution Service has confirmed this to be true. To continue saying or suggesting otherwise is malicious, as this matter is now likely to be subject of legal defamation proceedings. I will not be commenting about it further, as per the advice of counsel on the matter. I'd be happy to take your questions. Go ahead, Alana. Just, just 
Just want to clarify. So you're not going to take questions on something, but it's actually questions about something super similar. You're saying this might go before the courts. This, uh, you know, could be legal action. But that's the exact same thing that happened on these phone calls. There was a man who was three weeks away from a criminal trial, and you decided to speak with him on the phone. So I wonder if you can explain why you thought that was appropriate. as I, as I mentioned, this is likely to be the subject of defamation proceedings. I have the ability to seek advice from my justice officials. It's actually part of their job. The advice that I received from my justice officials was that there were several court actions that were taking place, and until they were resolved before the court, no further action could be taken. I follow this advice. So why are you on a phone call with them? As I mentioned, uh, the advice that I received from my justice officials was that there were matters that were before the courts, and until those were resolved, there could be no further action, and I took that advice. But is it appropriate to be on a phone call with them? As I mentioned, that I do seek uh, a lot of input from a lot of people on a lot of things, and I seek advice from my justice minister, and when I asked his advice, he said that there were matters that were before the court that needed to be resolved, and uh, there could be no further action, and I took his advice. Did you seek advice from your justice officials prior to speaking with Arthur Pulaski, charged with criminal mischief and uh, uh, breach of the Criminal Infrastructure Defense Act? I have sought my advice from my justice officials on several matters, and well, the advice that I'm the advice that they have given is that there are matters that need to be resolved before the courts. Nothing more can be done until those court cases are decided, and I've taken that advice. But did you take that advice Alana, prior to the phone call? Alano, you've had three questions, and there's a whole there's a whole room. Just because you don't like the answer she's giving doesn't well, mean she's no not answer. giving we've her answer. Had one answer. No answer. We've had one answer. Five so questions. we will go to the next. Do you have sure. a follow-up, Mark Soff? I'd like to ask uh, Minister Sani a question, please. Minister Sani, you had announced... Uh, in February that you were not seeking elect re-election in Calgary Northeast as there was a competitive nomination. Flash forward to this past week and uh, Premier Smith uh, nominates you uh, in a riding across the city, uh, one did, that you had as, I, I know, maybe you do have some ties to it particularly, but uh, certainly uh, was across town from where you currently uh, were representing. Not sure where it is that you reside exactly. But how do you explain to, uh, to voters in either riding um, why you skipped out on a nomination for your party's seat in one seat and then accepted the Premier's appointment in the other? Well, thank you for that question. I think it's uh, mischaracterized the situation. And so I'll just be very transparent and very authentic in, in exactly how this decision came to be. So when I had announced that I was not seeking re-election, it was a difficult decision. It had I don't think I ever mentioned the nomination, but there were a number of considerations, largely personal in nature. And what happened between then and now is that our very valued colleague, Minister Savage, announced that she would not be seeking re-election. So the Premier and I had a conversation, and she asked me, would you consider running in this area? And after consultation with my family, we had a long conversation. I agreed that I would, and I'm very honoured to be the candidate for Calgary Northwest. Next. Yeah, go ahead, Rachel. Uh, Rachel Manuel with True North. My question is for Premier Smith. 
Uh, Premier, I wanted to get your thoughts on election tabulators being used in the upcoming provincial vote. Elections Alberta has confirmed to me that they will be using tabulators mm -hmm. in the advanced vote polling. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if this is something that you're concerned about, if you're hearing from Albertans who are concerned about it, and how you plan to deal with this matter. I, I have heard some concern about it, but I have confirmed through our department officials that all of the votes on election day will be hand counted. My understanding of how these voting machines work is that it is a paper ballot. And even though the tabulation takes place electronically, we retain a paper ballot so that if there is any issue of needing to do a recount, we'll be able to, to go back to, to the, the paper ballots to do that. So I, I'm, I'll, uh, I've asked my, um, my department officials uh, to look into it again just to make sure that there aren't any concerns. And they've come back to me and, and told me that, uh, that the hand count will take place the day of and that we will retain paper copies in the event that there is any issue that needs to, to require a recount. Just as a follow-up here, I mean, we've all seen what happened in the U.S. presidential election where millions of Americans, you know, doubt the legitimacy of their election results. Considering that a lot of Albertans do have problems with tabulators, would it be better just simply not to use them and to count all the ballots by hand, including those in the advanced polls? You know, I've, I've used um, Scantron machines before where you have a paper ballot and then it goes through and it's uh, electronically tabulated. And I've also witnessed, even in my home uh, town of, of High River, they had to do that very same night a hand count because it was so close. So I, I have confidence that, that uh, because we have the ability to do a hand count as a follow-up in the event there are close results that I, I, I believe that that's going to be sufficient. I think that the issue in the United States was that there are machines where you don't also have a, uh, a paper tabulator. My understanding is that we're going to, to retain both so that we are always able to make sure that we can do a secondary count if the, if the count is close. That's, I think, something that people expect of democracy, that you should be able to verify a vote if, if uh, results end up very close. Premier Elise Gaccio with CBC. You talked about waiting for advice from your justice officials, but the case that we're referring to in the Pulowski call was actually criminal charges, not public health order violations. So I'm just wondering if you've spoken to anybody else on non-COVID health order prosecution related matters since you've been Premier. Well, Elise, I'm also waiting for an apology for the misinformation in the stories that you and the CBC have written. And as I mentioned, I seek advice of my justice officials on a variety of issues. That is their job to give me advice. And the advice that they have given me has been that there are matters before the courts that need to be resolved. I accepted that advice. And just a follow-up, in the call with Mr. Polowski, you talked about being dissatisfied with the tactics being used by Crown prosecutors. When you talk about their independence and the fact that you trust them to do their jobs, how are they supposed to interpret you telling a man facing criminal charges that you disagree with their use of tactics? I have uh, always said that, the, my, that I need to stay in my legal lane, um, and I, I said that as well. In that interview, my legal lane is the only thing I can ask is, is it in the public interest and is there a reasonable likelihood of conviction? Whenever I have asked my justice officials about this, they have said that there are matters that are going to be resolved before the courts and that we will await those outcomes, and I've taken their advice. Well, Western Standard. My first question for you is Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley said real leaders speak to the media to provide accountability indirectly taking a hot shot at you. What do you think of that comment? Here I am. Do you have a follow-up? And my second question is, former Newfoundland Labrador NDP candidate Carrie Clarendeal has been suspended from Memorial University's board for saying F the police in response to the two Edmonton police officers who died. 
What do you think about suspension? We support our police in Alberta. We know that we are facing a, a huge amount of public disorder right now. There are random attacks that are happening all over the country. And the catch and release program that was put in place with the bail changes at the federal level has created a circumstance where the streets are unsafe. So unequivocally, we stand behind our men and women who are on the front line trying to make our, our streets safe. I can take one more from the floor and then I got to go online. Um, I just want to get your thoughts. You've lost a couple of high profile ministers to the door in the next election. Uh, we've seen some candidates already bounce from uh, nomination uh, you know, down in Lethbridge West. Candidate there resigned. UCP did not kick her out. Does this signal turmoil, and or were you guys comfortable with her running and not having her resign, or what was the understanding there? Why did UCP not necessarily kick her out to allow her to resign? Well, let me talk about um, the uh, my two ministers, Minister Sonia Savage and Minister Travis Taves, who I have the utmost respect for. As you see, they're going to continue on in their positions until election day, until the, there's a transition post election. And um, I'm 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 pleased that I know that it was a tough decision for both of them. They have incredibly important work that they were both doing. Minister Taves, I think, brought through a budget which he can be very proud of in leading, leaving a lasting legacy of fiscal anchors. And Minister Sonia Savage, I think, has really repositioned us in how people talk about Alberta and the emissions approach that we're going to take and has really reset our relationship, I think, with the federal government. So I'm so grateful to, to the both of them for, for doing that important work. And I want to keep, them, keep in touch with them to see if there's a way that they can continue on in their public service. Uh, we were getting to a point where... We had to uh, make sure that all of our candidates were in place, and I just asked one last time of our ministers if anyone was going to be stepping down, and they both indicated that they were, uh, but we're, they're going to continue to, to, I think, have a meaningful role in public life. Uh, in Lethbridge West, the uh, candidate had a, uh, an inflammatory video. Uh, we, the party asked her to take it down. She did. She offered her resignation. I accepted it. Um, and then the, uh, the candidate in Edmonton has, has indicated he has personal reasons for why he needs to step aside. So I'll be working on nominations in, uh, or in, uh, on appointments in all four of those areas. The first one, of course, Minister Rajan Sani is going to be running in Calgary Northwest. And I'm in discussions with, the, with members in the community about how we'll replace the other three candidates. Just to follow up, uh, I guess, Minister Edmonton and Premier, of course, you can speak to this. Six weeks ago, you said this was a family decision, not running again. Six weeks later, you say, I'm going to go on another ride, following up on Jason's question. What was promised to you? If you, if you guys form government in this next election, where you have a pretty high-profile cabinet position, is that why you came back? Well, let, let, me, let me just say that I think there's no question <laughs> that Minister Sawney is an excellent and valued cabinet minister and has been since the moment she got elected. Um, she's doing really important work for me right now. Uh, which we are announcing today on uh, the trade and immigration front. She's also doing incredibly important work for me when it comes to resettlement of our of Ukrainian evacuees. We've already managed to resettle 30,000 evacuees in Alberta, uh, almost seamlessly, um, and it's because she's been troubleshooting it every step of the way. We have been told that there are potentially, potentially an additional 50 or 60,000 Ukrainian uh, uh, evacuees who will be coming to Alberta based on the, the federal approvals, and I'm, I value her insight, I value her input, and I value the continuity of having her there to be able to manage that file on my behalf. 
when it came down to um, when I was sad, I was sad when she chose not to put her name forward in Calgary Northeast. But I always talked with her, saying, "Let's find a way that you can continue to be involved in public service." There are many, many ways that people can be continue to be involved in public service. I know that she lives very close to the Calgary Northwest riding. So when we discovered that um, Minister Savage was not going to run again, I asked her if she'd reconsider, and she did. All right, one more. From saying the family reasons you don't want to run, drastically changing that position six months later, or six weeks later, what was that discussion like for you? What, what was maybe promised to you? Well, when I had originally announced that I would not be seeking re-election, I didn't really talk about family reasons. There were a number of considerations, and I had mentioned that they were personal in nature. And of course, much has changed since that time and today. And I had already mentioned that Minister Savage announcing that she wouldn't be seeking re-election changed everything, and uh, Premier just mentioned all of the work, the critical work that still needs to be done, and I was reminded of the reason why I came into public service in the first place. So we do have important work to do, especially on the Ukrainian settlement front, and uh, and I'm very pleased that um, you know my family has been very supportive, and I just want to say that I've received nothing but messages of of support and respect and congratulatory messages from across the city and across the province. So that has been very meaningful, and I'm excited for the election, and I'm excited to represent Calgary Northwest. All right, thank you. I do have to head to the phone lines. Operator, can you please put the first question? I'll have to go to the phone lines, and then if there's time, then I'll go to you for your last question. David Staples, Edmonton Journal. Thanks for taking my call. Um, a Calgary candidate for the NDP. Amir Kayandi, who's a longtime uh, analyst in the energy industry, wrote a column for the CBC um, in 2020, April 2021, where he was talking about the future of um, Alberta's economy and, and talking about the need to get away from oil and gas. And his, uh, one of the things he said right at the top of the article is, hydrocarbon must go away. There's no alternative. It's too polluting. Um, Premier Smith, what do you think of um, the future of fossil fuels yourself, future of hydrocarbons, and what do you think the attitude of the Alberta government should be towards that um, industry? Well, I can I can tell you because the the term just transition. You'll recall that um, that Ms. Notley used that term all the time to talk about completely phasing out the coal industry. And the, it should be no surprise that that language has now appeared in a document at the federal level that the Liberal and NDP coalition at the federal level are using in talking about our oil and natural gas industry. This is the ideology of the NDP, is that they want to completely phase out fossil fuels. I do not. I think that the discussion we need to have is how we dramatically reduce emissions. And there's lots of ways to reduce emissions. We can export LNG to the world and reduce the emissions of higher polluting fuels. We can do carbon capture utilization and storage, which we are world leaders in. We can start developing out our hydrogen economy. We can use other base load that is non-emitting like geothermal and like um, uh, small modular nuclear when it becomes available. All of these things are going to allow us to continue to develop our substantial oil and natural gas resources. So I would say that uh, we in the UCP have a very different view about the future of our energy sector than the NDP. David, do you have a follow-up? So you mentioned uh, some different technologies that might be used to reduce emissions. I'm just wondering about um, the mechanism. The Alberta companies and the governments, federal and provincial governments, 
are going to be making very significant decisions in years to come with tens of billions of dollars on the line in investment in alternative technologies. And it's crucial that we pick the right ones. What um, what technology, what funding mechanism is right now being uh, looked at at, at um, funding uh, carbon capture and storage, such as the uh, new Pathways Alliance project that's being talked about? And, and in the end, like who will make the decision on what technology to go ahead in terms of an emission reduction? Will it be private business or will it be the government? For instance, with um, getting rid of emissions in the oil sands, you could use nuclear reactors to, to help in the production process, or you could use um, carbon capture and storage to put the emissions in the ground. And I'm just wondering who will make that kind of call, and how will it be funded? The uh, we brought in the Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program in a different way. In in the way it had been enacted before, it was a grant-based type of program where bureaucrats got to choose who would get the the ultimate support. The uh, the structure of the Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program is to give a tax credit to anybody who invests in this area. And that's why we ended up with 14 major projects in the petrochemical industry that have been announced in the last three years, including Air Products, which is going to be a net zero hydrogen facility, Dow Chemicals, net zero petrochemical project, and many others. The announcement in the budget was that we were going to be working with the federal government on how we might be able to expand that uh, that APIP, the Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program, to include all of the infrastructure for carbon capture, utilization, and storage as well. Because right now, it's available for new product projects, but not historic projects. And it isn't available um, for the uh, the development of all of the infrastructure that we're going to need to develop, including the Pathways Group. So we're prepared to do our part on that. We, we think that, of course, though, at the federal level, especially as we try to bridge the gap or narrow the gap with in the investment climate with the federal with the United States and their inflation reduction act we we believe that uh, coordinating with the federal with the federal counterparts in in supporting that kind of investment is going to be very important but our our proposal would be to do it through a broad based uh, tax incentive that's available to anyone so that industry can decide the kind of investments that they want to do it will be up to industry all right operator next caller please Arthur Green, Western Standard. Good day, Premier. Uh, thank you for taking my questions. Uh, just, uh, just a quick question. Seems every time I turn on the TV, I, uh, an attack ad appears on the UCP, uh, one being that Albertans will have to pay to see the doctor. Uh, just wondering, can you set the record straight for Albertans who are being misled by this attack ad? Will Albertans have to pay to see a doctor if you are reelected in this? Albertans will never have to pay to see a family doctor. Albertans will never have to pay for hospital and surgical services. Those are essential parts of our Canada Health Act. In fact, we have taken off user fees. Under the NDP, they were charging $40 per day for a mental health um, addiction bed. And we've removed all of those service fees. And in addition, we've expanded the amount of fully publicly funded addiction treatment. We now are able to treat, instead of 19,000 individuals when we first began, we're now up to being able to treat 39,000 people with with addiction. We're developing recovery communities because we see mental health and addiction support as being an essential service when it comes to providing health care. And so when you look at our record, we've actually removed some of the fees that the NDP had in place. Arthur, do you have a follow-up? 
I do. It's a different topic. Um, concerning social disorder here in, in Edmonton, I've been covering social disorder for the last six months. Um, you know, we've seen shootings, stabbings, uh, open-air drug use. Just recently, a uh, an addicted person forced her way into an elevator with an Albertan mother and began smoking meth on the ride. I know you do have, uh, you know, we've seen the addiction of sheriffs and peace officers. Uh, it doesn't seem like the social disorder is changing and that it's only getting worse. Um, is, there, is there anything in the near future that's going to be done, like, uh, you know, the UCP taking control of what the city does with EPS, or, or, or what's going to be done in the future to, to try to calm the storm that's happening here in Edmonton? Arthur, I'd like to thank you for your reporting. I, um, I share the pictures that you share frequently with the, the team that's involved with the task forces in both Calgary and Edmonton. And I can tell you that um, Minister Mike Ellis, as well as Minister Tyler Shandro, myself, and the two task forces in Calgary and Edmonton have been working very hard to identify ways that we can do more to help. We, we know that this is the number one issue. It's the number one issue of government is creating a, a safe environment, safe streets, safe public transit. Uh, we began with pilot project of having 12 sheriffs in both Calgary and Edmonton, and it's not enough. So we'll be having another announcement tomorrow where we will uh, talk a little bit more about the, the additional things that we'll be doing. So um, just stay tuned for that. All right, operator, can we go to our last caller, please? Dave Kaiser, City News. Hi, that was two outlets ago. I'm with Global News. Uh, Minister Raj Ansani, uh, question for you. I'm very confused about your response. You say you had numerous personal considerations which made you not seek re-election, but somehow Sonia Savage stepping down changes that, and now you're wanting to come back into the fold, but only if it's not in the riding you're currently in, which shows, uh, rather, which polls show you might not win. Can you please clarify Yes, I don't believe I said any of those words that, that you just articulated. I had said that, yes, I had made a very difficult choice back in February not to run for re-election, and there were a number of personal considerations that I won't get into. And at that time, I had a conversation with the Premier, and we discussed this, and she mentioned that there were other ways to serve. And, of course, um, nobody had anticipated that Minister Savage would be stepping down. She's such a valued member of our team. And we're so close to the election. And when Premier and I had a conversation and she asked me, would you consider running in Calgary Northwest? And we talked about all of the work that has been done and yet needs to be done. So of course I had to discuss this with my family and they were very supportive. And again, um, here I am um, as a candidate for Calgary Northwest and I'm going to work very hard to earn the trust of the voters. Safe. Do you have a follow-up? I do. Thanks. Uh, Minister, you did absolutely say that seven minutes ago. It's time stamped. So let me ask you, do you live in Calgary Northwest? And how do you explain this to Calgary Northeast voters who may see this as clear politicking and not about actually representing your community, but being in the riding which you are more likely to win? Well, I've had numerous conversations with my current constituents, and they have been 
nothing but supportive, and they have appreciated my work, particularly the work that has been done around schools. Like, look, in Calgary Northeast, we are going to have two schools that are going to be built. That was construction that started in 2019. Minister LaGrange uh, announced additional schools in her budget in Cornerstone and Redstone, and now the Calgary Board of Education has announced another school in Redstone in its capital budget. So I've had great conversations with constituents in Calgary Northeast, and they're very appreciative of the work that I've done. And I was out door knocking yesterday, and I didn't hear any concerns from the hundreds of houses that I had visited. And in terms of where I live, I live out in Springbank, which is right next door to Calgary Northwest. Okay, thanks everybody. That's all the time we have for today. Go ahead. Um, so today, Megan Cloud Global News, uh, it's for the Premier. Uh, Mayor Gondek uh, was talking about transit safety, and I know you touched on this a little bit, but she had two asks to the province. One was to reinstate the full municipal portion of the CPS ticket revenue, which has cost the city an extra $10 million a year for the past few years. And the second was to adjust the municipal policing support grant for inflation and growth. She says this hasn't ever been done over the life of the grant and that it's uh, hurting municipalities and their citizens. So she says the city has stepped up um, with its own funds, but is specifically asking for provincial support beyond just the sheriffs uh, that have been sent. Just wondering what your comments are. Look, um, we we agree that uh, we have to do more that we had hoped that having 12 sheriffs in Calgary and Edmonton would be enough to start stemming the tide of the public disorder. And we need to do more. We know we need to do more. So I, I know that through the task forces and also through uh, through collaboration with our, our ministries, as well as the mayors of both Calgary and Edmonton, that we're, we, we stand together in making sure that we are putting enough resources so that we can address these issues, particularly in transit. And we'll have more to say about that tomorrow. Okay, thanks, everybody.